0: We are in Ruth chapter four. So in my Bible, that is, and I think the church Bibles, it's 269, page 269, Ruth chapter 4. So it'd be good to have that. Or on your Bible app, Ruth chapter 4. I'm not gonna read it right now. I'm gonna, it's a fairly long chapter, so we'll 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 come at it in pieces as we go through. So um rod you're on the slides there you can follow me a little bit as we go as we go through the through the chapter okay i'm aware you can sort of relax you can just sort of let me tell the story i'm aware that people are coming at this maybe you've been here for all three of the previous sermons in ruth maybe you haven't if you have uh let me just give this little recap for the benefit of those who haven't so we bring everyone up to speed Here's the story. Naomi and Elimelech flee their hometown in Bethlehem in Judea because there's a famine on, right? They run away, there's no food, they go to a country called Moab. They go there with their sons, Marlon and Kilion. And there, their sons marry. They find Moabite women to marry and they marry there. But then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And then her two sons, Marlon and Kilion, also die. (laughs) Within 10 years, this all happens, and they're left, the three of them, Naomi, widowed. Ruth, widowed. Orpah, widowed. These three women in this foreign country, at least for Naomi. Naomi figures to herself, well, there's food back where I came from. So she decides I'm going to make my way back there because I need to find food to survive. Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, stays where she is in Moab. She's going to have a better life there, so she stays. Ruth, about whom the book is named, decides to go with her and says these most awesome words. They're the words that the book is famous for. I'll read them again. Where you go, Ruth says. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. So awesome. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So Ruth and Naomi head back to Judah. They are poor, they're widows, they need food. And it just so happens, (laughs) we had this yesterday, uh, sorry, yesterday, last week with, um, with Linda leading us. The providence of God, engineers, undertakes, even though Ruth doesn't know what she's doing, that she winds up in a field belonging to a guy called Boaz. She's there to get food. They're desperate, they're hungry, they're trying to find food. But she ends up in a field belonging to a guy called Boaz. But as it stands, just think of Naomi. No money, no family. No family except Ruth no sons who could provide for her no enduring name in that time in that world in that context your sons carried the name forward if you had no sons you had no enduring name you had no future as it were your name would die out and that would be it it's a desperate situation which is why naomi says we just go back to chapter one verse twenty don't call me Naomi, she says, call me Mara, call me bitter, because the Lord Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me and brought this misfortune upon me. So what's the hope for her? What's the hope for Naomi? What's the hope for the whole family? Especially in the time of the judges. Do you remember June told us that in our first talk? It's the time of the judges. Everyone just does what's right in their own eyes. No one cares. What is the hope for them? Whenever it's just jungle rules. You know, who's going to look after two poor widows in the middle of a situation like that? But in such a time, we've seen through the book, Even in such a time, God's ways and God's goodness to his people, and particularly to Naomi and Ruth, is going to show up in this guy called Boaz. He's a close relative, and he can do this thing. Let me just give you a little bit of background here. He can do this thing that was a custom and a law of the land given by the Lord, whereby he could buy the land that naomi has so naomi has a plot of land she's cash poor asset rich she has land she doesn't have cash she can't provide food for a mouth but she has a plot of land she could buy this land sorry he could buy this land off naomi give her some cash but also she would take he would take her on naomi he would take on ruth and marry her he could marry her and he could in that way provide a future for this family and so suddenly there's hope. Suddenly. <gasps> Naomi, you, you get it in the earlier chapters. She's like, what, what, what? Really? We've got an option. We've got a way forward. We've got a way through. With this guy Boaz. Now go, go. So she says, really, like, you've got to go down. You've got to go down when he's he's just had a nice time, he's been to a party, go to the threshing floor, go meet him there. Go and do this weird thing with the garments. Do you remember with chapter three? It's like, spread your little garment over my f- Well, first she kind of uncovers his feet, which is a bit weird. That would infuriate me if anyone kind of exposed my feet in the middle of the night. Exposes his feet. She's like, cover me with your garment, with your wings. You'll see that later. Would you marry me is the question, basically, that she asks him. And Boaz, legend. He's like, yeah, however. Just one thing in the way here. This is how it finished last week. There is a guy closer to your family closer to Abimelech and Naomi um, than me. And he gets first dibs. So we need to sort that out first. And that's it. That's where we're up to in the story. That's where we're up to. Chapter four. So let's uh, let's get into this. And we're going to see really two main headings really this morning. There's an obvious redeemer in this story. And there's a less obvious redeemer. But both of them are going to show us what it means to be redeemed by the Lord Almighty. Okay, let's read verses one to four. So if you've got your Bibles, this is verses one to four. Here's where we pick up the story at the city gates. Chapter four, verses one to four. Meanwhile, so here we go. Boaz went up to the town, to the gates there, and sat down just as the guardian redeemer uh, turned up. He had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention, suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he says. Oh, hang on. We thought Boaz was gonna do it. We thought Boaz was gonna get it, and it was just gonna be this wedding bells and blah blah blah. I will redeem it, he says. All right, let me explain what's going on with this guy. This guy basically looks at the situation, goes, I'm quids in here. I'm quits. This could be good for me. All right, I'll have to shell out some cash. I'm going to have to spend some money here to acquire this field that belonged to Elimelech. However, he's looking at Naomi, right? He's looking at Naomi and he thinks to himself, Naomi's old. She can't have children. In fact, Naomi says that back in chapter 1, verse 11. I can't have kids. So he thinks to himself, if I buy this field off this family, of this woman, Yes, it'll cost me money. Yes, I'll have to look after Naomi, but she's going to soon, she's going to die. She'll have no one to carry on her line, and the field will be mine. Because ordinarily, in the land of Israel, in these ancient covenant rules of the living God, that land would belong to the family no matter what, and it would eventually go back to the family, even if someone had previously bought it. Now, there's no one to take this family on. There's no one to to provide a name for that family going forward so the field would be his the field would be his he wouldn't have to restore it to the family so he thinks net gain net gain short-term expenditure I've got to fork out some cash got to look after Naomi but in the end I'm going to do well out of this so he says I'll redeem it he's very noble (laughs) yes I'll do it Yes, I shall do it. That's correct. I will do it. Would you put my name on the plaque just there? He will do it, he says. However, Boaz continues, verse 5 and 6, here's how he continues. Verse 5, then Boaz says, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also, might I add, acquire Ruth, the Moabite the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, verse 6, the guardian redeemer said, Oh, then I cannot redeem it. Because I might endanger my own estate, you redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Okay. So you see what's happened. Boaz kind of played it quite cool here. He says, No, actually, Naomi's also got a daughter-in-law called Ruth. And she is of childbearing age. She can bear children to this household name. And therefore, if she gives birth to a son, if you redeem this field, if you buy the field, and she gives birth to a son, having married her, then that son will continue the name, the family name, and the field will eventually be restored to him. And so you will lose. It will be net sacrifice, not net gain and this guy realizes he says ah i would endanger my estate and so i cannot do it and there we are folks that is me that is probably most of us indeed it represents standard human behavior the world over happy to make a gesture I'll do a gesture. I'm happy to do a gesture. A noble thing, especially when all the elders are sat here. Happy to do that. But if you are asking for real sacrifice that genuinely costs me, that endangers my livelihood, no thanks. Now look, just pause here with me, church family. This isn't a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. He's not a villain. He's nameless in the book. He doesn't get a name, but he's not a villain. He's not doing anything illegal. He's not really even doing anything particularly immoral. But I'll tell you what he is doing. He is passing up the opportunity to defy human standards of behavior, and do something great. Here's an opportunity to do something great. Everyone expects, everyone expects humans to be self-interested, preserve their selves, preserve their own interests, look after their family, look after their estate. But he has the opportunity here to do something the world just wouldn't comprehend. The world doesn't get it. The world doesn't get it when genuine sacrifice is on. It's like, no, 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 I can't, I, I cannot understand that. That is not what human beings do. He has the opportunity here to bend the rules, to be great. Usually, isn't it? Everyone just scratches their head and thinks, surely there's something in it for this guy. Surely. People don't do selfless things. There must be something in there. There must be something in it for them. In fact, this is how... Basically, this is how historians go back through history. These days, there's a little phrase. It's called a hermeneutic of scepticism, of cynicism. We go back through history, and we think to ourselves, these normal human beings are only acting in their own self-interest all the time. There must be a reason why they do things, and it's probably selfish. And so we go back through history and we just read that in absolutely everywhere. Surely it's only selfishness that's running the show here. And so we'll look for it. What was their motivation? It was sinister in the end. It was selfish in the end, self-interested in the end. That's all that ever happens on planet Earth. But here, this guy has an opportunity to break the rules. Do something truly sacrificial. He could, but he doesn't. And in in that sense, that's just normal life. The world keeps turning. However, in steps Boaz, verses 9 to 12. Well, let me go from verse 7 because we get a bit of a slipper. We get the slipper episode. Verse 7, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took, took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. And incidentally, let's revive this. Next time you sell in your car, you know, throw in a flip-flop. Do something like that. Just say, there you go. I'll throw it just to sweeten the deal. Have one of my flip-flops. Do that. Let's, re- let's get that going. Least, at least here. Get at St. John's. Just get a stash of flip-flops. So it says, and it, it obviously says this, right, because... This was not, by the time this got written down, generations later, that custom had fallen out of use. So there's a little bracket in the text there to sort of explain what had happened. Verse eight, so the guardian redeemer says to Boaz, buy it yourself. He takes off his sandal and does the deed. Then Boaz, this is so awesome, verse nine. This is so good. Get this speech. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, might this have been the speech of his life? Here you go. Today you are witnesses. I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders of all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the household of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. And may your family be like Perez, whom Tamor bore to Judah. Such a wonderful moment. Here it is. Boaz takes bankrupt Ruth and Naomi. They have nothing. He puts up his own wealth, his own riches to buy their land. He commits to their family. He promises, okay, I will marry Ruth and I will maintain the household of Elimelech and Naomi. He does it publicly. Get this. This isn't a guy because he could, could have done this privately. Right? But the problem with that is 10 years down the line, you've had a little private little thing somewhere well you might renege on those promises you might take them back you may not fulfill what you've promised but he gets he goes to the city gate the city gate was where all the business happened it's where the elders got together it's where they discussed the important matters of the day it's where the poor came for justice it's where people caught up with each other it was a busy place he did it in front of witnesses remember he got them he said you guys sit there please he sat there he's like i'm doing it i'm doing it in the presence of witnesses to guarantee it for you i won't turn back i won't turn back on my promise here are all the witnesses you can bank on this because i've done it publicly so he gives them riches where they had poverty a family and a home a name that will endure a future in the covenant people of god May the Lord make you like Rachel and Leah. Here is the Moabitess, Ruth, brought into the people of God forever. May you be built up. Remember, like Rachel and Leah, these women are the women of the faith who established the nation of Israel. And they're saying of her, may she be like them, this Moabitess. And he does it. Boaz achieves this for Ruth and Naomi at great personal sacrifice. This is going to cost him. He's not going to get anything out of this. He loses. It's net sacrifice. Net sacrifice. And he does it in the presence of witnesses. Now, can you see what this means for us? Let's just see what this means for us. When we call Jesus our Redeemer, the New Testament... You know, when you read, for example, just when you read Jesus is the bread of life, you know, in our 21st century mind, you start thinking about hovis and, I don't know, tiger bread and all that sort of thing. In ancient Israel, you'd have thought about the bread that came from heaven and sustained the people of God, without which they would have perished. And so when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, you're like, oh, oh, without whom I will perish but you will sustain me and bring me through. When we read about Jesus, our Redeemer, when they first used that word, they said, Jesus is our Lord and Redeemer. You know that they had the story of Ruth read to them over and over and over and over again. And we know the story. I hope we know the story of Ruth and Boaz, and we've had it read to us over and over and over again. Because when you hear that word, Redeemer... You hear, Jesus, though I am spiritually and morally bankrupt, gives me his wealth and riches. He gives me a family when I'm alone in the world, when I've got no one else, nothing else. When I feel alone in the world, he puts me in a family. Here we are. He gives me an inheritance and an enduring name amongst the covenant people of God. Jesus does that. I'll put you amongst the covenant people of God. And he does so at immense personal cost to himself. At immense personal cost. So here's 1 Peter. This is how Peter saw it. 1 Peter 1.18. You know, he says, you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold. This wasn't materials that you were redeemed, there's the word, from the empty way of life handed down to you by our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Through him you believe in God and, Peter finishes his book, this is the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory. He will give you an enduring name and Jesus does that it's so awesome he does it in the presence of the witnessing world it's a public thing the cross and it's a public thing his mighty resurrection from the dead he did it publicly he did it on the world stage he did it so that everyone could see I will not go back on my promises I will be the redeemer I will redeem you Riches for your poverty, a place in the family of God, an enduring name forever at great personal cost to himself. That is Boaz who helps us see what Jesus has done. But there is another Redeemer here, and perhaps an even more amazing one. The obvious Redeemer is Boaz, but the genius of this book, it is genius is that the hidden redeemer is Ruth. The book is named after Ruth. It could have been named, incidentally, it could have been named three funerals and a wedding. I thought that would have been a pretty good one. It could have been named Boaz. And in patriarchal societies, hey, you would expect it to be called Boaz. It wasn't. It was called Ruth. And here is why. This, this is how the book ends. And it's so glorious. Okay, verse 13. So Boaz, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer may he that's boaz become famous throughout israel he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth and then naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him the women living there said naomi has a son naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Who's redeemed? Naomi is. Remember chapter one? Naomi's like, My life is so rubbish, it's over, I haven't got anything, it's finished. I'm, you know, forget me. But at the end, here she is, she's holding this baby in her arms. Though she lost everything meaningful to her: husband, gone, children gone. Inheritance, gone. Future, gone. Because of the faithfulness of one incredible woman, Ruth, upon whom the story really hinges. Do you, know, do you notice that Boaz didn't actually make the proposal? He didn't go forward to Ruth and say, "Would you, I'll marry you. I'll be your guardian redeemer. It was Ruth. It was her initiative. Because of Ruth's initiative, Naomi now stands at the end of chapter 4, redeemed and restored it hinges on Ruth let me just show you. I just want to prove it to you just in case you think oh, is it there chapter 3 verse 9 just come back into Linda's chapter and just go back over this chapter one more time chapter 3 verse 9 do you remember where we are it's the middle of the night Ruth comes to Boaz and he wants to she wants to propose to him and she says she comes to his feet he's a bit startled remember his feet have been exposed to the fresh air he wakes up who are you he says this is chapter 3 verse 9 he asked I am your servant Ruth she said spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family so first of all she uses this wonderful covenant language the kind of language that spread your garment over me is language picked up in Ezekiel 16 later on The wings, spread your wings. That's the same Hebrew word. It's like a covenant name for the Lord. Spread those wings over me. She knows the living Lord God of Israel. And then she says, and here's the key, you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Our family. See what's happening? It's as if when when Ruth goes to that threshing floor, Naomi's right there with her I mean she's not but it's as if she is she goes to Boaz with Naomi sort of in her arm and she says Boaz marry me but let me tell you something I made a promise to Naomi that I would stick with her no matter what and I think to you know Naomi would have I'm sure Naomi would have said to Ruth look Ruth I know you promised me I know you promised me years ago that you would be with me thick and thin through you know come hell or high water deal death to us part all that kind of thing but you know you can make a life for yourself it's all right go and find a husband go and do the thing you want to do it's your life live it but Ruth's like no I made a promise and so she goes to Boaz and she says look Boaz it's the two of us. You're the kinsman redeemer for Naomi. I'm in her family. I want you to redeem the two of us. Now that's what's going on because look how Boaz responds. Verse 10. Verse 10 he goes wow the Lord bless you my daughter. He replied this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier she had been like ruth had been going out in the fields collecting food they were poor they needed food to survive she had been doing all that but now he says you've not run after the younger men whether rich or poor and now my daughter don't be afraid i will do for you all that you ask all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character you've shown greater kindness she could have done the ordinary human thing the ordinary human thing there would be to go i want to find a husband i want to find someone who loves me i want to find someone who's more suitable for me i want to fi- i want to make a life here i want to you know maybe get a house i maybe want to have my own kids and all that kind of and that would have been absolutely normal no change fine yeah, fine, very understandable human behavior. Everyone does that. Everyone does that. Everyone does that. But Ruth chooses greatness. She shows a greater kindness. world doesn't see this stuff. The world doesn't understand this stuff. You could have found a younger man. But you came to me, says Boaz. And so Ruth does the Christ-like thing. She does the cross-shaped thing. The way of sacrifice. She loses her life. I'll lose my life. I'll lose my livelihood. She defies normal human behavior. And she keeps her covenant promise. And there Naomi is at the end of the book, babe in arms. An enduring name, a future, and a hope. Now, the Lord, God, wanted us to know that is what loving kindness looks like. That is what it looks like. And he bakes it in. He bakes it in to the family tree of David first right you see it right at the end of the book yeah that little uh, the little genealogy right there at the end of the book it goes um was the father of Hezron Hezron the father of Ram Ram the father of Binadab Minadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Sermon Sermon the father of Boaz Boaz the father of Obed Obed the father of Jesse Jesse the father of David and then of course he's baked it in to the family tree of jesus because the lord wants his people to know when you hear that word redeemer i want you to think of these guys i want you to think boaz i want you to think ruth and here's my final point i'll close with this neither ruth nor boaz knew that this was the way god was going to do things right this book wasn't written in their lifetime They didn't see that David was going to come from their line. They didn't know that the Messiah, the saviour of the world, was going to come in their time. They just did what was faithful in their generation. They just did the faithful, covenantal thing, the works of God that were in front of them there. They were faithful. They sacrificed They did the Lord's work. They followed the Lord God of Israel. And then the camera zooms out, right? The camera pans back. And we can see, you can see, the world can see that faithful believers, faithfully showing forth the covenant love of the Lord, have achieved King David, King Jesus, And all of us now sit here and we know what it means to be a Redeemer because of the faithful witness, covenantal love of Boaz and Ruth. So I'll just leave you with this question. We can always take the very natural option, always take the natural option for standard human behavior in our choices, one that won't endanger our estate. Ones that don't involve costly promises or sacrifice, and there'll be no great surprises. No, and no one will blame you. No one will, bl- no one will blame me, no one will blame you. That's normal. That's absolutely normal. Or you can keep looking at Jesus. This is how he redeems us. This is what he did. And he calls us come my way come the way of the cross it does mean self-sacrifice it does mean defying the conventions of this world but when the camera zooms out when the camera pans back and everything's revealed for what it is the world will see you and i will see greatness that mirrors the redemption of jesus and achieves amazing things in the kingdom of god should we pray let's pray together in a minute we're going to sing there is a redeemer and brothers and sisters might our minds be filled with covenant love and faithfulness he did it for us He sacrificed himself. It was great personal cost to himself hanging there on the cross. He did it in front of a witnessing world to guarantee he will never go back on us. He did it to give his riches for our poverty, to give us a family, a place to call home, to give us an enduring future and a name with him forever to bring us to himself here he is the lord jesus our guardian redeemer and we want to sing to you lord and thank you for all that you've done